All right, Alexander, let's talk about trade between India, China, and Russia. And last week, we had a lot of uh, stories coming out that the United States and the EU, they were going to, uh, to try and figure out ways to prevent trade between Russia and India and Russia and China. You even had uh, Joseph Burrell come out and threaten India and Ursula von der Leyen was also talking about how uh, the EU is going to to figure out ways to prevent the uh, the trade between these these third countries of Russian uh, products and commodities and, and stuff like that. And it seems like they've uh, they've come to the to the conclusion to the understanding that this is impossible. This is impossible to do and. We are getting more and more reports that no matter how how much the collective West tries to tighten the screws on trade between BRIC nations, which is what we're talking about, between BRIC nations, the trade just keeps on going up and up. Yes, and we've had a, we've had some very interesting and important moves on this uh, recently. The first is that um, we've had a whole set of statistics coming out of Moscow about oil exports. Russian oil exports are now at record levels for the last two years. I mean, they're higher than they were in 2021. And a lot of that oil, most of it, is going to China and India. And this has, if we're talking about specifically India, it's altering the dynamics of Indian-Russian trade relations. Now, India's biggest trade partner, it was and remains China, not the US, China. With all of these imports of Russian oil, Russia has just zoomed up the tables. I understand that it is now the second biggest exporter to India after China. What, is, what, is, what is that, that has created, however is a big imbalance in trade between Russia and India because Russia exports oil, it's going to start exporting gas to India in a very, very big way. It's not yet importing from India. And because the Russians and the Chinese want, sorry, the Russians and the Indians no longer want to conduct their trade in dollars, what's happening is because the Indians have been paying for a lot of that oil, in Indian currency, in rupees, Russia is beginning to sit, is now sitting on a very, very large pile of rupees. So what the Russians want to do is they want to increase imports from India. And what the Indians want to do is they want to increase exports to Russia. Now, it's going to take time because Russians and Indians haven't traded in that way for a very long time. But they will do it. They will find ways. India does have lots of things that the Russians would want to import. It has a large uh, amount. It produces a large amount of light consumer goods, for example. What's going to happen over the next few years is that as the Russian-Indian trade balances, moves towards balance, you're going to see the Russian-Indian trading system explode. It's going to zoom upwards. It's going to take time. They've got to find ways to sort of process all of this. But India and Russia are becoming economically extremely important to each other. 
and this is, I think, for the long term. Russia and China, the relationship there continues to grow. So the Russians exporting even more oil, I understand, to China than they're exporting to India. Changes from month to month, but they're doing that. Lots of things that they can export, import from China. We know all about that. Chinese cars are now appearing on Russian streets. There's even, by the way, a new Chinese park being created in Moscow. But the point is that the Prime Minister, the Russian Prime Minister, a man called Mishutsin, um, Putin's leading technocrat, he's very well regarded. He's heading to Beijing in a few days. There's going to be apparently big trade talks between the Chinese and the Russians about how this kind of trade is going to be rebalanced. So we have China, India, Russia, these three countries not always particularly getting on with each other, but we're starting to see a trading system starting to emerge. And notice that the point of the triangle, where the triangle meets, is Russia. It's the oil exports from Russia, the oil and gas exports from Russia to India and China that are the things that are linking things together. And you mentioned the BRICS. BRICS as well, because um, the United States made an extraordinary demarche against South Africa recently. They were criticising the South Africans. Remember, South Africa is a member of the BRICS. They were saying that the South Africans were exporting weapons to Russia. They provided no evidence of that. But what did happen is that the South Africans pushed back. The South African president, Cyril Ramaphosa, called Putin. The Western media, by the way, gave a wrong account about that. They imp gave the impression that it was Putin who called Ramaphosa. It was on the contrary. It was Ramaphosa who called Putin. The chief of the South African army has just been to Moscow, where he's had military talks with the Russians. And again, one is hearing all kinds of things about industrial cooperation now between Russia and South Africa. And that's also apparently going to intensify. And again, South Africa actually has quite a significant industrial base. And the Russians and the Chinese and the South Africans would be interested, I'm sure, in working on building up relations there. So there is a trading system starting to emerge. It's still in its early stages. It's all BRICS-based. Brazil, of course, will be part of it eventually, will want to be part of it. Um, um, other countries, Argentina, Cuba. Cuba's had problems with oil. Oil has been running short in Cuba, food shortages in Cuba. The Russians have said that they're prepared to provide Cuba with oil and food. There's apparently contacts being established there. Cuba is converting to the Mir card, apparently. But you can see that all the things, all the various pieces are now starting to dovetail with each other. Yeah, the, 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 the sanctions against Russia that the collective West imposed have, has really freed up Russia to do all kinds of business all over the world. It really has freed up Russia in an, in an extraordinary uh, way. You know, the Russian market, because the, of the sanctions and, and all the collective West companies having to leave the Russian market, it, it's opened up a tremendous opportunity for, for India, for South Africa, for China, for, 
for countries all around the world to, yes. to enter the Russian market. I mean, I'm yes. thinking of consumer goods. I'm thinking of clothing, of, uh, of technology and, and applications, of uh, pharmaceutical products, of medicine. I mean, it's, it's a wide open market now, not only for Russian entrepreneurs, but for entrepreneurs from all around the world. Uh, yes. It's, it's incredible how the sanctions have, uh, have opened up so many opportunities for Russia and for uh, other countries to do business with Russia. And I think there's another country that is playing a key role in, in all of this trade that's going on, and that is Iran. Yeah, because we also had the news about the, the North-South the North -South Railway uh, link right. that is being that's created right. as well. Yes. I mean, all the pieces to the puzzle are kind of connecting, yes. and it's all because of the sanctions. Thank you, Joe Biden and Ursula van der Leyen, for these sanctions, in a way, it sounds so strange to to say it, but thank you. I mean, yes, you wouldn't have had this if if Russia was still part of the architecture of the collective West. Absolutely, this is, I think, a fundamental point that uh, really needs to be made because it's now become absolutely clear that the reason that the Russians weren't able to forge all these connections with, you know, with South Africa, with Brazil, with China, with India, with Iran, and all these things. Um, even though, as it is now becoming increasingly clear, these are its natural trade partners. From a Russian point of view, it makes more sense, as it's turned out, to trade with these countries. It is because of a cultural aspect. Russia, for so long, conceived of itself as part of the West, as a European nation, uh, Russian businessmen, Russian entrepreneurs. I mean, they just didn't take the opportunities in places like Iran, in India, in Brazil, even in China, especially seriously. So once that cultural bar to building up these relationships was broken, once they were left with no choice but to do these things, what they've suddenly discovered is, probably to their own astonishment, is that there is indeed another world out there and that they can trade with it and that they can trade with it at far more advantageous terms to themselves than they could with the Europeans, where, of course, they were up against highly established industries and trade uh, connections and supply chains, which it was very, very difficult for the Russians to break into. So this probably also explains to some extent why the Russian economy is now apparently putting on speed. There was a very interesting meeting in the Kremlin. In fact, there's been several interesting meetings in the Kremlin with Putin. And um, the economics minister told Putin that, you know, um, they now expect that the projections for Russian economic growth this year, which is still around 1%, which are already higher than they were just a few weeks ago, but that those will probably be exceeded. That... Um, the Russians themselves underestimating the extent to which their economy is going to start putting on speed. And, we, you know, once these trade patterns establish themselves and consolidate themselves, we're probably going to see um, things um, accelerate even more. And just to add something further, there's been very heavy pressure from the West on some of the Central Asian states and on Turkey to try to cut back their connections with Russia. I think that one of the reasons why Erdogan 
did so much better in the first round than uh, uh, people expected, many people expected, is that there's an awful lot of people in Turkey now for who, who have an interest in maintaining the economic relationship with Russia. Hoteliers, small businessmen, restaurateurs, all those sort of people. And I think that they rally to Erdogan because they see Erdogan as the guarantor for that relationship. And I think that all that Western pressure did, in fact, was, as I said, consolidate support for Erdogan. So that's the one thing I wanted to say. But as with the Central Asian leaders, lots of attempts to try to, you know, to pull them away from Russia. Victory Day Parade on Red Square on the 9th of May, and they all turned up. Even the president of Turkmenistan, who's up to now tried to keep a distance. But they were all there. They all wanted to make it absolutely clear to the, to the Russians that, you know, they're still on side and um, that the relationship between the Russians and these Central Asian states is intact and that all this Western pressure really doesn't, isn't going to achieve anything. Yeah, it, it, you just get a sense that the the collective West is is all about restricting and closing stuff down and and, and, and placing sanctions on uh, on countries, entities, individuals, whether it's seizing farms or uh, preventing uh, planes from traveling to to certain destinations. For example, trying to prevent Georgia from opening up travel connections with uh, with Russia, where. On the other side, you get a sense that that things are opening up, and yes. that there's a sense of 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 more opportunity, openness, and and freedom with less obstacles yes. to do things. I mean, it's it's a complete flip in in what we've known all our lives. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the West that is becoming yeah that's becoming you know closed down, authoritarian, restrictive, and it's the East that that you do sense a. a yeah, opportunity. I mean, there, there there seems to be freedom and opportunity. That's yes, that's uh, yes, rising up. This, that's bubbling up. And this is all very, as I said, very much at its early stages, and there's a long way to go. But you're absolutely correct. I mean, it's uh, a complete reversal of the Cold War. I mean, people looked at, you know, if you remember back in the 1970s, as I well remember. I mean, nobody in their senses around the world who was a business person really wanted to... Well, I mean, many people did trade with the Russians at that time, but, I mean, it was on a completely different way, and it was just not something that you felt natural and happy with. Business people everywhere, the one thing they don't like is restrictions, especially restrictions that seem stupid to them. And uh, these restrictions that the West is imposing are doing two things. They're making people very, very, very unhappy with the West. That's the first thing to say. They're also creating major imbalances in the economic system, and they're making the eastern states appear much more attractive, not just to themselves, but to the world beyond. Yeah, absolutely. I see it. I see it in Cyprus because of all the sanctions and all the restrictions. You see a lot of uh, a lot of businesses in in legal services, accounting services, uh, because they it's just become too difficult for them to to deal with with say Russian clients or, or not even Russian, just any any clients that are not of of uh, German, French, 
U.S. origin, <laughs> any other clients, it's become so difficult to deal with the, with this that that they're 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 moving elsewhere. They're setting up shops in in other locations in other regions. For example, Dubai is is one is one area, and you can just see that they're they're getting with each passing week and month, they're getting more and more frustrated with all of the sanctions and restrictions and requirements. Yes. That they're just saying, you know. We can't operate like this anymore. We have to go elsewhere where there are less obstacles, less hurdles. And they're Indeed. doing it. And they're doing it. And it's having political consequences as well, which is a, it's been almost completely ignored. The media has hardly touched upon this. But after the G7 meeting in Japan, Biden was supposed to t attend a, quad, a meeting of the Quad with Modi, you know, Prime Minister of India. And... Biden is now going to skip that meeting. He's going to go back to the to Washington. The story is that this is all about dealing with the debt ceiling, which I'm not saying that's not an important issue, but meeting with Modi and the Quad, you know, this grouping that the US has been trying to build up against China is important for the United States. I mean, in terms of geopolitical importance, it's perhaps even the priority for the US. So for the president to skip a meeting with the Indian prime minister, it's not just about the debt ceiling. It's not even at all about the debt ceiling. I mean, frankly, Biden isn't needed in Washington to deal with the debt ceiling. I mean, there are other people who can do that better than him. Even Yellen could probably do it better than him. But the point is that um, the reason he's not meeting within the context of the Quad with Modi is because relations between the United States and India are deteriorating. And the reason they're deteriorating is because the US is putting pressure on India, which India is feels itself obliged to resist, and which is causing the Indians to ha start to have doubts about this entire relationship that they forged with the US. Requirements and pressure that they don't get when they deal with with Russia, for example. Exactly. That's the difference. That's the difference. Yeah. Okay, we will leave it there. TheDuran.Locals.com. We are on Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, and Telegram. And go to the Duran shop. 10% off. Use the code GOODDAY. Take care.